looking toward it, Karolev had a suspicion he knew what kind. The director came to a halt and pointed at a long, single-story wooden building, the pitched roof seeming to bend under its thick helmet of winter snow. The hostel had no gutters, and meltwater had frozen along its length like a curtain that hung down till it touched the snowbank that had drifted halfway up the wall. What few small windows there were lurked high under the eaves, and several panes had been replaced with whatever had come to hand. It was the kind of place where workers, fresh from the country, turned inward, recreating their village in a space the size of a cattle barn. This bunch wouldn't like outsiders. They wouldn't even like the citizens who lived in the hostels surrounding them. No, this place was a tiny island in the sprawling sea of the city that surrounded it. In fact, the island wasn't really in Moscow, or even in the Soviet Union. It was somewhere quite different. I'm not going in there, comrade, the director said, stopping. And I have to tell you, I don't advise you to either. I've shown you where he lays his head. If I were you, I'd wait till he comes out. Korolev shrugged his shoulders, took a moment to look at Shishkin's photograph, then showed it to the others to refresh their memories. A wide face, topped with a mop of blonde hair shaved tight at the sides, a rounded, solid-looking jaw, straight lips. He didn't look like a killer. In fact, there was something open and fresh about the fellow's face. But apparently Shishkin and his brother had been drinking, and alcohol, as Korolev well knew, could turn a saint into the devil. The brother had been foreman of a rubber factory in the Frunze district, and, it seemed, Shishkin had asked for a job and been refused. Small things became large when vodka coursed through men's veins. He'd had a case once where two men had been hacked to pieces on account of a pickled cucumber. How many people in there? Korolev asked. Five hundred souls, give or take, the director said and Korolev knew what that meant. There'd be friends and family who didn't work for the trust. There'd have been deaths. There'd have been births. A score of rag-footed children were visible around the hostel, and a good half of them wouldn't be on any list the director had. You see what I mean, the director said, indicating with a nod a clump of sullen men who'd appeared at the nearest entrance. My authority stops here. Hell, even the party activists don't visit this place. They've their own ways of doing things in there, and it works best for everyone if we leave them to it. Korolev looked at the workers by the door. Muscular, work-smudged, tough-standing brutes, and not overly fond of the militia by the look of them. He took a squint at the snap of Shishkin once again. Well, one way or another we have to go in and talk to him. He glanced at the two uniforms. They didn't look any happier than the last time he'd looked, but they'd do their duty. Yasimov seemed resigned, and Korolev caught him patting the jacket pocket in which he kept his revolver. They'd all seen hostels like this before, places that followed different rules from the rest of the city around them, and were allowed to by men like the director, desperate for workers to meet the factory's quotas. Korolev started to walk toward the entrance and hoped the uniforms were following. The workers stood aside as they approached, but there was no welcome in their hard eyes, and he could hear them turning and following close behind, cutting off their escape. 
He pushed open the door of the hostel and entered. It was as he'd thought it would be, like the inside of an ant's nest, if ants were humans and lived in the city of Moscow in the year of our Lord, 1937. Everywhere there were people and their possessions. Along one wall, small rooms for families had been built, like stables, and from the empty door frames of which the lucky inhabitants had hung blankets or sheets to give themselves some privacy. Elsewhere, however, every spare inch of floor space had been filled with beds, mattresses, and sacking, and on them the rest of the hostel's occupants were sleeping, sitting, playing cards, drinking, smoking, and doing every other thing that a citizen might do in the comfort of his home, except that here he was sharing his living space with half a thousand others. And above the people hung wet clothing and bedding from washing lines that crisscrossed the room in no apparent order so that the ceiling was invisible.